This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com an to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C dot slash A-N. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Ford sales jump in February. Tesla is light on details at its annual Investor Day. And auto startups get an infusion of cash from venture capital. Plus, our own Hans Grimel tells us what happened when Toyota recently studied a teardown of a Tesla Model Y. I think it was a, a bit of an eye-opener and maybe even a shock for them to see that other companies had maybe even one-upped it and its uh, own uh, manufacturing or production engineering efficiency. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Improving inventory helped U.S. sales at Ford jump 22% in February. Ford brand sales gained 23% while Lincoln deliveries rose 4%. Ford's electric vehicle deliveries rocketed 68% to more than 3,500. It was the third straight monthly gain for Ford and Lincoln brands, coming off a rough year-ago period. Honda reported a 1.4% sales decline in February, with the Honda division down 3%, but AccuVolume rose 12%, its second straight monthly gain. At Subaru, February volume rose more than 2%. Mazda deliveries rose almost 9% for the company's fifth straight monthly increase. As of recording time, Volvo, the last of the monthly reporting brands, has yet to report its February sales results. We now think those might not come in until tomorrow. You can get the most up-to-date reports on monthly sales at autonews.com. We didn't get much new information from Tesla on Wednesday at its annual Investor Day. CEO Elon Musk did confirm that the automaker will build a new assembly plant in Mexico near Monterey. Musk emphasized that the new plant is part of a larger effort to boost production. We intend to increase production uh, at all factories, uh, so the uh, Giga Mexico would be uh, supplemental to uh, the output of all the other factories. So this is not, to be clear, moving, moving output from anywhere to anywhere. It is simply about expanding uh, total global output. Musk did not say what vehicle will be built in Mexico, but he and other company executives dropped several hints that Tesla is planning to build a more affordable vehicle or multiple vehicles on a new platform. One of those vehicles could be a dedicated robo-taxi without human controls. Tesla did say again that the Cybertruck is coming this year with volume production expected in 2024. Private equity investors plowed about $650 million, at least, into automotive-related startups in February. Of that, more than 70% went to companies working on battery technology. It's one of the safer bets thanks to the federal government's industrial policy and incentive programs supporting electric vehicles. Battery startup Our Next Energy set the pace with a $300 million haul. Our Next Energy's Series B funding round was led by Fifth Wall, which primarily is known for its real estate investments, and mutual fund company Franklin Templeton. The suburban Detroit company plans to use the funds to build the second phase of a $1.6 billion battery cell factory slated for completion in 2024. CEO Mujibajaz says he's already begun work on a Series C round. 
Of the investments tracked by Automotive News, less than 10% went toward automation and autonomy. On that front, Google's self-driving company Waymo tells Reuters that it's cutting 8% of its workforce. Investors and industry watchers have been concerned about billions of dollars that have been poured into the self-driving technology sector in a short span of time to commercialize it. Rivian, GM, and Meta are among other U.S. companies that have taken to layoffs ahead of a possible recession. Google parent Alphabet said in January it would slash 12,000 jobs, which will affect a large number of employees who support experimental projects. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Ford with a great February in sales, especially with electric vehicle deliveries, should this give Ford a little more optimism moving forward in the year? It's a nice number. It's some uh, some good results for a, a company that's that's had some some negative headlines lately. I do think you know we want to put it in a little context. You know, uh, sales up twenty plus percent, but they were down twenty percent a year ago. For February, Ford still came in just behind Toyota, but uh, through the first two months of the year, Ford's ahead of Toyota. So interesting race there. And um, it's nice to get some good sales. It shows continuing demand for Ford's products and that they're getting their manufacturing back on track. Well, coming up, Toyota got a bit of a shock recently when it commissioned a teardown study of a Tesla Model Y. We'll hear about what they found next on Daily Drive. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose ReconTrack. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Yesterday on the show, we heard directly from Toyota Chief Scientist Gil Pratt about why the world's largest automaker has been slower than its rivals to jump headfirst into an all-EV future. But Toyota could soon shift its mindset with the new CEO, Koji Sato, and his new leadership team. Sato plans to push for a next-generation EV platform, and he's got his eye on Tesla. In fact, Toyota recently studied a teardown of a Tesla Model Y, and what they found shook the automaker's engineering core. Automotive News Asia editor Hans Greimel spoke with numerous Toyota executives and engineers for the story. I caught up with him in Tokyo. Hans Greimel, welcome back to Daily Drive. Great to be here, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Hans, you had a great story this week about Toyota's EV strategy, and it really it opens up with this you know, this anecdote about, you know, Toyota studied this tear, a teardown of the Model Y, and they, they kind of had their minds blown. What What's going on here? Well, I think what was an eye-opener for them was the fact that the simplicity and the elegance and the cost-effectiveness of the, the design, and not just the technology or the software that's going into the design, but the design for manufacturing 
the design for ease of manufacturing. That is, they engineered this car so that it would be easy and cost effective to build. And that is something that Toyota has always prided itself on, going back to its Toyota production system. And I think it was a, a bit of an eye-opener or maybe even a shock for them to see that uh, other companies had maybe even one-upped it and its uh, own uh, manufacturing or production engineering efficiency. Yeah, that was amazing to me to read as someone who's you know followed Toyota for a long time. Tell me a little more about the role of stamping and pressing in Tesla's manufacturing and the way they've designed it and how they've implemented some new technologies. Well, they use a uh, thing called a giga, giga casting or giga stamping, and it basically uses a giant stamp press to form the, eliminate basically uh, the number of parts they need to use by stamping the entire front section or the entire back section of the car as a one giant molded part. And by doing that, it greatly reduces the number of parts they need. It reduces the cost involved with that, reduces the weight. And all that is crucial in EVs because the battery is so ex expensive. So it helps bring down the overall cost of the vehicle. And uh, it's a kind of an advanced technology. There aren't very many companies around the world that can make these giga casting equipment. So um, it's, I think, a wave of the future. But um, Tesla seems to have gotten on that wave early. I'm never going to win in the battle to keep Giga from being just used as a nonsensical accelerator for intensifier for every technology word ever, am I? I don't think so. Uh, some references <laughs> actually refer to it as mega, but I, I, I right. casting. So I'm not sure. Some people must have thought that mega wasn't good enough and they decided to one up. With well, it's it goes back. I mean, Tesla called the their first big battery plant with Panasonic, the Gigafactory. And then they started calling everything gigafactories. And then everybody calls everything a gigafactory. It's like, I mean, I guess it's supposed to mean a giant battery plant. Plus, sometimes it's just, it doesn't really mean anything. It's a battery factory. Right. It's a, or it's in a vehicle assembly plant, right. <laughs> you know, and maybe it's a really big one. But <laughs> I don't, anyway, I, it's a digression, but yeah. a giga thing <laughs> drives me nuts. Giga thing, yeah. So this was such an amazing story. You have amazing details and quotes. What can you share with the audience about the reporting? Well, this is a story that's kind of been developing in, in the media, not just us, but other media, especially over I don't know, the last several months. Uh, you know, something I went to Toyota and asked them about to see if we could get an on the record interview with some of the uh, executives involved in this. And it was always kind of uh, hitting, a, uh, hitting a wall on the official track. Then uh, Sato-san, the newly appointed uh, uh, CEO who takes over from Akio Toyota on April 1st, well, he came out and announced his new leadership team in February. And part of that was to kind of give an overview of this new uh, revamp of the EV strategy. So that was a good a peg on which to do uh, a story based on our own reporting, uh, just talking with people uh, who we know and are friendly with us. And we're able to kind of point us in the right direction and share some details, you know, on background. Just fascinating stuff, very revealing uh, comments. So Sato's got his new team and they're on their new mission. They're going to have a new platform ready to go into market as soon as 2026. Um, but the targets, at least for now, remain the same uh, as when Akio Toyota, you know, the three and a half million in 2030 with one million of those being Lexuses. Uh, 
Is that something that maybe he'll up the ante on in 2027 or something when he gets a real sense of seeing some uh, rubber meets the road on the new platform? It could be. I mean, I think 2027 is still a long way away and they have a lot of work to do before they get there, including uh, developing this all new platform and then deciding uh, how to roll it out. It'll roll out first in Lexus, I think, to recoup the costs and to with a, a higher margin vehicle. And then we'll see exactly where the uh, overall electric market, or electric vehicle market is at that time. Uh, as you know, Toyota is not anti-EV, but it's also kind of pragmatic in its approach to EVs. So it's it says that it will be prepared to, to sell 3.5 million in that time frame, but it's not really a commitment to meet that as a target. I think it's going to be flexible in uh, responding to the the market as it develops, and um, we'll see. They could they could that they could be a target that's uh, up for rejiggering as the years pass on. Yeah, and we'll see how the regulatory uh, enforcement plays out. You know, I I think about what you really identified as the kind of key areas of deficit against Tesla the EV platform, the battery technology, software-defined architecture, and a dedicated manufacturing site. And, you know, especially I feel like the, you know, the platform we've kind of talked about, but that dedicated manufacturing site, you know, Toyota's received a lot of criticism recently for not being as all-in on EVs as, say, GM and Volkswagen even, you know, for Volvo and, you know, some of the smaller brands, but especially those, the other, you know, their other previously global peers. <laughs> and I wonder how much this development sort of adds fuel to the fire for those people who said, well, if you had made the leap, if you had been willing to make the leap, you would have had a dedicated manufacturing site, if not multiple dedicated EV plants by now. You would have had, you would have started with an EV platform, you know, sooner and not been behind and having to catch up in the way that they are. Right. I think that was part of their belief that they could get by on flexible manufacturing. Of course, that's another strength that the Japanese really pride themselves on, being able to build basically a, a mix of all radically different kinds of cars on the same uh, line. And that's kind of what they're doing with the, the BZ4X, their uh, current electric vehicle, that electric crossover that they have. They build that on the same line as the Mirai fuel cell vehicle and the new Crown a hybrid sedan, so that's quite a mix of vehicles you have right there, and uh, three different powertrains. Yeah, so they they see that uh, traditionally Toyota's seen that as a strength, being able to uh, have that kind of flexible mixed production. Uh, going ahead, though, you see signs that they are at least uh, going to maybe sh shift that thinking. They appointed a new executive to uh, lead electrification at Lexus. And part of his job will be uh, to uh, oversee their Lexus manufacturing facility in Kyushu. And I think part of that mandate will probably be trying to figure out how they can get a dedicated or electric only line at that uh, facility. Uh, meanwhile, you have press reports swirling that they are thinking about a dedicated EV line in Kentucky and then another dedicated EV line in uh, Toyota City. So it's clear that some rethink is going on for that. Well, and I think we've seen some speculation that uh, North Carolina, where they're building a battery plant, would be a place they could put an EV assembly plant that would do only EVs. Right. Yeah. It makes sense to have it near the batteries. Hans, any final thoughts on this uh, story? Well, uh, it's good to see Toyota uh, taking this seriously and, and kind of getting fire lit underneath them. And I think Sato-san's biggest challenge will be trying to rethink 
the whole car from the ground up. What the company is really striving for is kind of a blank sheet approach to the EV. Their current EV platform is kind of an evolution of their, the old, not old, it's still plenty new, but the TNGA platform that they have that goes into uh, uh, hybrids and internal combustion cars. And it's not really optimized for all the new kinds of approaches that you can take with EVs. So they're really having to rethink it from scratch. And that may be a challenge for a big company that's as unwieldy and bureaucratic and sprawling as, as Toyota because they're stuck in their ways. That said, they have a lot of talent, a lot of money, and a lot of energy. So I think that if they really apply themselves to it, uh, they could uh, come up with a good solution for their EV. And that's obviously where the urgency is. You feel it at Toyota when you talk to them or you listen to Sato. And he talks about drastically change the way we do business from manufacturing to sales and service. So he's clearly aware of the need for a big change. And that will be his challenge of his tenure, basically, implementing that change by the end of the decade. You know, it's uh, what you're saying is really uh, resonating with me. It's, it's reminding me, you know, for so many years, Toyota's challenge amidst, you know, generations of success was to, you know, instill a sense of crisis, uh, to get people to change, to evolve, even though, you know, beyond the incremental Kaizen's, you know, year after year. And it feels like Sato, Cap, you know, Captain Sato, as he's sometimes called, uh, you know, has found his moment to rally people around, you know, this Model Y is a threat to, you know, what we do and we need to compete and we are getting beat. And uh, they're not used to that. And uh, that's that could be a really motivating force for Toyota. Yep, you bring up an excellent point. They they love to react to that sense of crisis, and I think there's a new crisis building right now internally. So it'll be interesting to see how Toyota rallies to uh, to the cause, but uh, they still have some time to do it. You know, if they come out in 2026 with a new BEV and it's a as a success, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be late to the show. The, the market for EVs is still in its infancy, so I think they still have some time to tap into demand when it's really, really there. Hans Greimel is Asia editor for Automotive News. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jamie. You can find all of Hans' reporting on Toyota's reaction to the Tesla Model Y teardown and its push for a next-generation EV platform at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own David Phillips, Lawrence Iliff, and Karin Dingra for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, February sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about how rising interest rates are making it tougher to sell dealership, finance, and insurance products. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 